You're in the vault with Don River. Welcome to the Vinyl Vault.
Ginger Baker and Friends from the uh, vinyl LP. In my case, it was actually an 8-track called Eleven Sides of Baker. That was from 1977, released on the Vertigo label. And uh, yeah, great 11 tracks of uh, Ginger Baker's great solo material. And if you haven't seen it, um, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but uh, check out the documentary Beware Mr. Baker. You will never be the same. <laughs> what a great drummer. Speaking of drummers, we spoke with Jerry Murata, who's played with Peter Gabriel, Paul McCartney, Elvis Costello. He's played with pretty much everybody. Uh, his resume is as long as my arm. An incredible percussionist drummer, multi-instrumentalist. He sat down with us on the phone earlier this week to chat about his latest project called The Security Project. And he's been doing that since 2012. Basically, it's the security album by Peter Gabriel that they've reimagined, reinvented, and playing it with a wonderful group of musicians. They're coming to Toronto June the 1st at the Garrison. We also chat about Jerry's solo career. He's got a brand new disc. He's played with Tony Levin and going to feature a track from one of Tony's CDs and a whole bunch of other stuff coming up in the show as well. Stay tuned. Todd Miller in the Vinyl Vault, in conversation with First Call drummer Jerry Marotta. He's played with Peter Gabriel, Paul McCartney, Gowan, Indigo Girls, Tony Levin, Canada's own Ron Sexsmith, Elvis Costello, Tears for Fears, and too many more to name. And Jerry, you've played with so many Canadians, you are almost a Canadian to me. I feel like a Canadian. <laughs> Today only. I, I really do. Between, you know, really honestly, between just well, loving it, loving being up in Canada, and then... Uh, the time I spent up there working with Gallon, <clears throat> and then uh, also, although I never worked with him up there, I did two records, as you mentioned, with Ron Sexsmith, who is just a fantastic. Uh, and then, of course, there's Sarah McLaughlin. Yes. And, uh, which I did a couple records with Sarah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like a Canadian. So, uh, 2018 finds you on the road uh, with Security Project, heading out for some dates, playing in here, here in Toronto on the Garrison at June the 1st. Head over to securityprojectband.com, click on live to see where they were playing near you in the near future. So, we're going to touch on the Security Project in a moment, Jerry, but first, I've got a difficult question to start. Sure. Do you call him Lawrence, Larry, or just plain Gowan? Oh, my God. I call, well... I call him Larry. Okay. Um, you know, the, one, the record that I produced, officially produced, is called uh, You Can Call Me Larry. Yes. And, um, yeah, Larry and I, we, we've, we, we, we connected, like, right from the very start when we did the first record, the, the Strange Animal record in, in England. And we, we've remained close friends since then. And, uh, yeah, I, I truly... You know, consider him one of my closest friends. So I call him Larry. Okay. You've done three albums with him. And in a nutshell, basically, David Tickle hired most of Peter Gabriel's backing band to, to be Larry's studio band. Had you heard of Larry before those sessions? No. And what was your no, reaction? I didn't know who he was. Um, didn't know. Didn't know. And, and uh, I know he had a record out. Like, he had done one record, and then... This was uh, going to be his second record, and um, I, we, I mean, Larry and I just, you know, the, the the foundation of Strange Animal was just Larry and I. I mean, we start. We're, Dave Tickle was engineering, um, and but we started that record out just the two of us, 
and we 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 really basically forged the what what was really going to become the record. We 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 created that direction between the two of us. We worked closely together, and we really um, we just really even when we did when we would disagree, we were so respectful of each other and each other's talent. I mean, I I think he's amazing. He's an amazing writer, amazing singer. He's a great human being, super, super nice guy. And uh, I I can't wait till Styx maybe slows down enough that, you know, he can eventually do more, some more shows. And potentially, my, I'm always, I always feel like that there's going to come a time when we'll get that band together, the Strange Animal, the David Rhodes, Larry Sass, Tony Levin, myself, and and Larry Gallon. I think there's somewhere down the line that's got that's got to happen. That, that would be an interesting show or tour to witness. And and I have to I have to remark that if if you guys hadn't come on board, and this was a time when record labels gave you uh, an opportunity to grow as an artist, when they just you know didn't put out your first album, and if it tanked, they said uh, thanks very much. So if that hadn't happened, uh, we wouldn't be talking about Larry so much. Right. And you know that that whole story, that that that's a long, that's a long, lengthy story about just how how easily Strange Animal could have nobody could have heard that record, and you know it's it's an amazing story, and I'm not going to get deeply into it right now, but but the record label, it was just tell you this, the label all the people marketing. This, that, they all go together and they decided on a single for the record. And then the president of the label went home, went to his weekend cottage, and he was playing the record, and he saw a strange animal. Strange animal was playing, and his kids ran into his, like, listening to him and said, What is that? Who is that? And, and, <laughs> and he went back to Sony on Monday and said, scrap everything. This is going to be the single. This is the single. Strange Animal. And and so that's that's how the, um, I don't know what the song was that they were going to release. Um, but, and Strange Animal was a real, kind of an oddball, but it's not your obvious hit record, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if you know that that, that record, it's, there's so many really pop, kind of poppy songs on it, but but in any event, it's, um, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but, but uh, it is an interesting story. Are you kidding? I'm getting all this background information. This is better than I anticipated. Yeah. <laughs> um, this this completely caught me off guard. Um, I had one of our other uh, hosts ping me the other day when he learned I was going to interview, and he said... Um, so I had to go back and spin this record to make sure that he wasn't full of you-know-what. Um I was listening to PG3, the, the third Peter Gabriel album, and it didn't hit me until he mentioned it, but he said, I want you to ask Jerry, and this is Michael Tierson asking you this, he said, I want you to ask Jerry about the third album, because there were apparently no symbols on it, nor were there any symbols on the tour. Right. I don't remember the no symbols on the tour, but the no symbols, the third album is the Melting Face record, correct? Yep, correct. Um, um... Yeah, no symbols. Generally speaking, no symbols on the record. And uh, 
And that was a very interesting situation, which does, I think, there may be more than one story. But the way I remember it was, I think Steve Lilly Wright was producing the record. One of my all-time favorite producers. And Hugh Pageant was engineering the record. Again, one of my all-time favorite engineers. The yeah. guy's got amazing ears. Yeah. And we were recording the record in the barn, and the English barn, which are just, they're, in England, they're stone. They're not stick-built, you know, like our barns. But they're, they're stone barn. And um, from a house, in a house, at a house, that Peter had rented for the band to stay at when we would rehearse. We couldn't really rehearse there. So we were, and those guys, it had nothing to do with me. Peter, Hugh, Padgham, they, they were experimenting with sound. And they would get this incredible sound on the drums with um, compression and distortion and whatnot. And then, and then when I hit a cymbal, it just sounded awful. Awful. And you should imagine, the cymbal and the bass drum or tom tom don't sound anything alike. Nothing alike. So the thought of recording them both into the same microphones makes no sense. So we scrapped the cymbals um, to just get this incredible sound in the drums with the idea that later on we would overdub cymbals. And in, I think in the end, the thought was, as we're listening to the stuff, nothing, nobody missed cymbals. It was like, we, we, who says you have to have a cymbal crash going into a chorus or coming out of the chorus, going into the verse? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who says you have to be crash cymbal to mark every, every move? And that's what I remember. I don't remember there being any, any genius, brilliant genius. It was just, it was like, um, um, it was just uh, in, in an effort to get the drums sound consistent and, and great, and then just record the cymbal very differently. And really, that was uh, that was pretty much the way that that down. And it was frustrating for me, of course, because I'm used to hitting cymbals. <laughs> but but um, it, it, I bought into it really quickly. I mean, it really, it really, it, it, to me, it made a huge difference. And it's to this day. Since then, I don't crash. I still hit cymbals, of course, but and I love cymbals. But I'm not slamming cymbals all the time. I certainly don't have to slam the cymbal that you know to put to accentuate to punctuate the end or beginning of any section. And and sometimes people will, will eventually say to me, "Do you think you should you overdub a cymbal crash here?" Like I'm not sure. Do, is it missing the symbol? Because people are used to hearing that. And, and when they don't hear that, I'm talking about artists and you know, producers and artists. Like, shouldn't you crash symbols going into the class? And um, so it's, it's funny. I, I've had issues where I, you know, now I hear music so much that way. And I'm like, oh, no, don't don't ruin it by, by putting a symbol crash on there. And so. But, uh, yeah, there were no symbols. Wow. Um, there were no symbols on that, right? Not that I can think of. You may have been a little hi-hat. Yeah, but, I might have heard some um, hi-hat at one point, but... Yeah. I listened to it again the other day on vinyl and it didn't stick out. I mean, it just, it's, the songs were so good and the performances were so great that it wasn't lacking. Let's put it that way. Look, you know what happens when you hear, if you listen, like to differ, you know, to, to, to differentiate sections, sometimes like when the, the chorus hits, 
there'll be an, uh, there'll be an overdubbed guitar or synth or keyboard. And when you hear that, it, 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 it acts like a symbol. It, it, it marks the, the, the moving into the next section. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and it, you know, when you start to get used to that, it really, that's what it sounds like. I mean, you really get, the, you know, you get it. And then, and then you start thinking, you know, you're right. It doesn't, you, you don't have to crash a damn symbol. You yep. don't. So. I have to ask you, too, because no, no matter which track I'm listening to of yours that you're playing on, um, even if it's a steady 4-4, it's, it never sounds robotic. I mean, obviously you've played a lot of what's called world music and it has more advanced polyrhythms and time signatures. Do you have a jazz background? You know, not, only in listening. When I was, you know, when I was like 12, 13, 14, I mostly listened, I listened to a lot of jazz, but I didn't play a lot of jazz. Um, <laughs> but I do, I, I do credit my brother. You know, I have an older brother who's a drummer. Yep. Uh, Rick Murata, yep. and a very a great drummer, and a very a world-renowned drummer, legendary drummer. You know, he was my, he's my mentor, he's my, you know, he was my um, inspiration. And my brother had, and has still, like, just a, an unbelievable pocket. And think about the way he hits the drums, and, and he has got this finesse. Finesse is the drums. We learned that from him. At least I tried to learn that from him, and I, you know, hopefully I, I'm somewhat successful. But I, I get a lot of that from him, and I also got a lot from working with Peter Gabriel. I mean, because Peter's approach was always different. He didn't want the stuff to sound like everything else. Yeah. You know, and there's a very funny kind of I think a famous story to me where we were recording a record in Holland. Um, with Peter, and we went in the studio, and he had this song, and it was really like a pop song. It was really interesting, and it was pretty cool. And so we went in, and we played it, and we learned it, and we worked it out, and jammed on it, and then we went to control room, and we listened back. And it literally, it sounded kind of like a hit record, but I'm talking about long before itself. And I think it was for the second record. And it sounded kind of like a hit record. And then Peter, he listened to it, and he said, okay, now we know exactly what we don't want to do. Oh, no. That's, that's what we're not going to do. Now you have to figure out what we're going to do. And then we spent, you know, Bob was still spending lots of time trying to figure out what to do with it. And, and, and the result is really what, what everybody knows Peter for, yeah. you know? You know, for the most part. I mean, the song record is not a great example of that because... Italian and Sledgehammer are like R&B, Motown kind of R&B. They're, they're much more formula than, than songs like Family and the Fishing Net yeah. or Lay Your Hands on Me. Um, but, yeah, so that's it. Wow. Um, we're going to take a short break. I want to spin a tune, and, uh, and this one is uh, one of your straight-ahead tunes. Uh, let's spin one from The Melting Face, otherwise known as Peter Gabriel Three. This is I Don't Remember.
Welcome back to The Vinyl Vault. I'm Todd Miller in conversation with Jerry Murata, uh, ex of the Peter Gabriel Band. Uh, he's played with Tony Levin. He's played with some heavyweights, and we're going to get to some of that. Which brings us to the security project. You've been with them since the beginning. Besides the obvious link to the 30th anniversary of security, what made you want to go out and reimagine the music that you were so intimately a part of? I, you know what? It, it, there were people who were asking me to do this uh, for a couple of years. And, and I really had no interest in it. And, and to be honest with you, I hadn't listened to any of that music in years. I mean, I don't sit around listening to the records I've made. I just don't. Yeah. Um, except for one, which we'll talk about later. But I don't listen to sit around listening to the music I made. But I did not really want to do it. It's like I had done that. I didn't really see any purpose in it. But, but then the, the people who had asked, who presented it with it, they, they kind of tricked me. They tricked me, and they came back to me and said, well, we'll talk to Trey Gunn. And Trey said, well, if Jerry's going to do it, then, I would, then I'd do it. And that's what got me to do it. Trey Gunn, an opportunity with one of Trey, there's no, there's no saying no to that. I mean, the guy is, the guy is a total badass. And we had played together quite a bit with Robert Fripp doing just like, just a few of us. Um, we did a lot of rehearsing for the record that we did with David Sullivan, uh, the Fripp Sullivan record. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but, but that was really, that was really the thing that I needed to, to consider it. So, um, and then the rest of it kind of fell into place. You know, we had, we had this, we're on to our third singer now, which is, Happy Roads, yep. who is a, is a woman that both Trey and I have recorded with. And, uh, you know, we had our first singer was a guy named Thomas Grissom, and he was very good. And he also sounded a lot like Peter. And then we had our second singer was a guy named Brian Cummins. Awesome singer. Awesome guy. Guitar player. Um, I could tell that, that he, a little bit of a, of a, not an attitude problem, but just, I think he was used to having his own band and being in charge. Yeah. And uh, there was a point where I could see that that this was probably not going to work out in the long run. And then uh, I, I was thinking at this point, you know, because trying to shake off the tribute thing, because it's really not a tribute. It is a tribute, but it's not. Yeah. And I thought, you know, why don't we get, maybe it would be great to a female singer. And uh, Happy Shoulder did a gig that we did in Woodstock, which is where I live, and where she used to live. And, uh, and at, afterwards, uh, at the end of the night, Trey and I were back in the dressing room. We kind of got to the dressing room about the same time, and we just looked at each other and went, how about happy? It's like, <laughs> it's just happy. Of course, this makes total sense. Divine providence. So, oh, my God. And, I mean, she is so good. She's great. I've heard, I've heard her. She's uh, knocked my socks off for sure. And um, I, you know, it's funny because I get the feeling that she—I don't think she's been doing much for the last ten years. Actually, you know, I think she really she got married. She's moved back out further into the country. I think she lives a real certain kind of life, and and I don't know how much music she's doing. Certain not touring. I don't think she's making records. Although she has ten or 11, 11 TVs out, so. Well, we were really lucky to have her say yes, um, and and it's she's just 
it's it's just I can't imagine the band without Happy being being up there singing. I don't believe in coincidence anymore, so I think that was meant to happen. But um, we, this material's been sitting around for 30 years, and it's burned in people's memories as to how it sounds. Did you feel any obligation to the fans to try and keep things somewhat the same? I mean, even even yourself when you're drumming, did you feel an obligation to play the same drum patterns? Or was like, ah, oh, screw it, I'm going to just do whatever I feel like on this track? Well, that's an interesting question, and I can tell you, it's, there's a lot of Peter's music that's very hard to reimagine. Um, how, what are you going to do with Family in the Fishing Net or Lay Your Hands on Me or San Jacinto or, or you know we, we didn't go in there thinking we're going to change everything we started out by learning the songs yeah. and then the songs the songs are so strong and so incredibly beautifully um, um, constructed particularly the songs off of the security record which is what we focus on which is why we're called it project. Yep. Um, but what's very interesting is with Josh and Ryan singing and sounding like Peter, it was really hard to re to reapproach stuff. But there were songs that when we started playing with Happy, there were songs that to me immediately felt like they just weren't right. Like Intruder. Um and not, maybe I don't remember to some degree. Some of the songs, it's just, it's, you know, they're a little more little over, overly, you know, there's a heavy testosterone yeah. vibe to them. And so we started, particularly, well, it was really a team effort. Um, just started to morph some of these songs, not all of them, um, into, into fairly different and having had to sing them. And uh, I think it's, I'm very pleased with the way it turned out. But every one of those songs, we never thought we're going to just rearrange, change, we should change every one of these songs and make them different. Yeah. That's, that's certainly not, the, that's not what we had in mind. So for those that haven't been to a show or listened to one of your live CDs at the Security Project, what do you want, how would you set their expectation for coming to a show? Um, well, expect the unexpected. That's okay. kind of the, that's a tour, you know, slogan. But, um, you know, we chose, we, we tried to choose the music that Peter doesn't necessarily play. Oh. Um, you know, because one of the songs that Peter plays, you know, people can go see Peter. Yeah. I thought we, we figured, let's play songs, some of the songs that Peter um, might not play. Now, I don't know how big it Gabriel fan you are, but I mean, Peter was quite popular up until so, but so made Peter like a, a global superstar. Yeah. And, and, and so Peter, he kind of has to play Sledgehammer. He has to play Big Time. He has to play Steam. He has to play Don't Give Up. He has to play Mercy Street, which I, Mercy Street on the amazing song. But, and Digging in the Dirt, I mean, he has to play certain songs. He has to play um, if he wants to play bigger places. Yeah. So uh, if he's playing Family in the Fishing Net, and uh, I'm a monk on the Burgermeister, uh, you know some of that stuff, um, or White Shadow. I don't know how that's going to go over with his so fans. Yeah. So we we we've sort of stayed away from trying to stay away from 
um, the, the real pop stuff. And we try to give people, a, you know, the other music, you know, so... Well, that's cool. I, I really enjoy it. I mean, what we're doing. that's very cool. Um, we're going to take a short break, but uh, before we do that, um, one of my all-time favorite CDs, believe it or not, is Tony Levin's Waters of Eden that you played on. You guys are one of the tightest rhythm sections I've ever heard. What does playing with Tony give you? Well, Tony is like, Tony Levin is, you know, first of all, he's one of my closest friends. And we're still morphed. We're both really good players, great players, in our own right, before we played with Peter. But we also developed, our styles morphed and developed through playing with Peter. And, uh, I mean, Tony, I never sound as good as I do as to when I'm playing with Tony. And I, I, I try to do that as much as possible. He ch- mean, challenges you, I guess. If I, if I'm if I'm producing something, I I tend to generally always try to get Tony if he's available. And ironically, if I can't get Tony, um, my second choice usually these days is me, because I don't play. I'm no Tony Levin, but I do understand, like just through osmosis and having played with him for so many years. I kind of have a sense of how Tony approaches the bass, and and I have a similar approach, thanks to him. So, of course, I'm not Tony Levin, but but I I kind of have an approach to to the music, a similar approach to Tony, because I kind of learned it from Tony. So very cool. Um, yeah, Tony Tony's amazing. Let's uh, take a short break and spin one from Tony Levin with help from Jerry. This is the title track, Waters of Eden, on the Vinyl Vault. Thank you. 
Welcome back to The Vinyl Vault. I'm Todd Miller on Radio That Doesn't Suck, along with Jerry Murata, first call drummer. I mean, the guy's played with everybody, and uh, you've heard us talking about some of the uh, artists that he's had the good fortune to play with, and we just finished one there from Tony Levin. Um, just doing some research for this interview, Jerry, and I was amazed. I mean, I've interviewed many, many musicians that might have taken the crown as hardest working person in showbiz until I got to your your bio and your website. Uh, I think you have truly, I've truly found the busiest. I mean, besides recording and touring, you have two recording studios and you're doing tons of stuff. You do sleep, right? I do, but not a lot, but I, I try. You try? I try. <laughs> I try. I sleep with one eye open and a drumstick in one in one of my hands, just in case inspiration strikes. Exactly. You should put a bed in the studio. But you know what? I mean? Well, I, what I've done, I, I I don't even think of it like I'm the hardest working guy. Or I just I can't think of life being any other way than this. You know? I mean, I love to play. I'm very creative. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, and I've been, I've been more than ever blessed. Yeah. Blessed. I've got, I've gotten, I've been so lucky with all of the jobs that I've gotten and all the people I've ended up playing with from, from Cher to Bonnie Tyler, you know, Robbie Robertson, Spider-Man, you know, I, 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 I mean, it's all over the place and I've loved every minute. And, and the diversity. I love that Broadway. I love Simpsons. You know, I love Swing, Big Band. I love folks. You know, Saren, the Indigo Girls, Kristen Hall. I mean, I love, I, I just, I love, um, I just love music, you know? And, you know, I never studied the drums. I never studied playing the drums. So, the drums are a vehicle for me to, to join in in a, in a conversation with other musicians, a musical conversation. So I'm not playing ornaments and sharps. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just trying to find the right, drop the right note, the right thing in the right place, and and not and not showing off my own, my own ability, my own chops. Never do that. I never do that. So it's worked out pretty well. And speaking of musical conversations, you've got a new one with uh, Flav Martin called Soul Redemption that I heard a few tracks from today, and I was blown away. I love the record. That's the record. That's the one that I was referring to that, that I actually go back. I mean, it's not rules yet, but, you know, if, I, if it's in my car, in the, in the, the um, CD um, lineup, and it comes on, I end up listening to the whole thing. I never turn it off. It's, I love the record. I mean, Flav, Flav is such a, a brilliantly talented uh, guitar player, singer, songwriter. And we worked you know, a better part of three years on and off making this record. Uh, of course, we features Tony Levin on bass as well. And, uh, and then Mark Shulman, who's a wonderful guitar player, one of my favorite guitar players. And Paul uh, Jensen, Gary Schreiner, and Peter Primmore, a fantastic pian- pianist that I worked with a lot. And uh, I produced the record, and uh, it's it's a real labor of love. It's 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 out there now, and uh, yeah, love I love the record. And uh, people will be able to go to your website and uh, and uh, purchase it for sure, or see it on streaming site. Go to Band Bandcamp, iTunes. You know, you know, you can you can find it. 
there's a lot of ways to find it. Uh, my my website is I and I'd appreciate I'd appreciate it. Excuse me. I'd appreciate it if if some um, some of my Canadian friends would would uh, at least give it a listen possibly buy the record. That's how we survive. Yes. By buying people buying. I buy records all the time. Yeah. And I buy records, I buy records for other people. Like I, I discovered, discovered, I just stumbled across a, a songwriter named Ethan Krista, and I was so blown away. Uh, he has a record called Slow Motionary, and it's incredible. I just bought a bunch of them on, on iTunes. You know, you can just, you can gift them to people. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's got to be done like that's what we have to do. We have to do that for one another. Yeah, you're supporting um, each other. And there's like others. That. Yeah, there's other, there's other, like, uh, Darling Side. There's a, a new a band I just just came across, and I'm doing the same thing with them. Incredible, incredible group. And, you know, it's, it's so hard to, uh, to get your name and your music out there. So I do that as much as I can. I, I get the I, I post it on Facebook, you know, YouTube clips and stuff of people that I like. That's very, very uh, cool of you to do. Is you know, you've had a great career. You still continue to have a great career, and yet you're still helping others up the ladder. So that's very cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I mean, I'm also just want to make sure. Um, I started a band with my brother Rick, called of course called the Murata Brothers. Although I I kind of want to call it Murata Bros. <laughs> um, rather than BRO yeah. or Brothers. I've been calling it more and more. But, um, and we've been doing that on the Martha's Vineyard. We did that on the Martha's Vineyard last summer, all summer, every Wednesday night. And uh, we're going to do it again this summer. Um, and it's really fun. I mean, it's like a, it's an amazing thing for me to be able to play with my brother, uh, double drums. And people go nuts for double drumming. It's, it's bizarre. I do a lot of gigs, a lot, by myself as the only drummer. And, uh, I mean, people like it, but when you get two drummers together, if there's something about it. It's like, it's like voodoo. It makes people crazy. Almond Brothers, Genesis had two drummers on stage for a while. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely very cool. Um, I want to let you go, and I, I want you to pick two songs to close the show with. I'd like you to pick one from Soul Redemption that you want to put a focus on that we're going to play. And then... What's your favorite Gabriel track that you played on that you want to want us to spin? All right, good. Well, you know, Soul Redemption, the song Soul Redemption. I like every every song on the record, but we love Soul Redemption. I really do. And uh, so maybe Soul Redemption. Um, and then Gabriel song. I mean, what Wallflower is one of my favorite songs. Of course, it doesn't feature me hardly at all. But something like Lay Your Hands on Me, um, if you're willing to play that, Lay Your Hands on Me is, is uh, I get goosebumps when I hear that. It's like, it's not rock music, you know? It's yeah. it, it's bizarre. It's uh, Peter, what Peter does, it's, it, I don't even know how to categorize it, you know? It doesn't sound like a rock band to me. It sounds like something else. So I would say, yeah, I, I would say, oh, you know, when I'm over, I can play on it. But I love almost everything on this record. 
But, yeah, I would say, I'd say lay your hands on me would be the one. Good choice. We're going to spin that. Jerry Murata, thank you very much for spending some time with us. And uh, we hope to see you in Toronto at the Garrison on June the 1st with the Security Project. And, uh, and as, as Jerry said, expect the unexpected. Right, Jerry? Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you again. And uh, this is Todd Miller in the Vinyl Vault. Hey, everybody. This is Jerry Murata. And you're listening to me on radio that doesn't suck. in my hair The refrigerator's open but it's looking pretty bare I'm grabbing for the milk yes you know I'm taking chances Pray through those dairy gods my belly don't turn rancid What's the truth my baby Maybe we can seek it out As for now my lady Restaurant that is if time will allow. 
as roses fat men play with their garden hoses. Sausage speared by the cocktails. I walk away from light and sound. Down stairways leading
beats down and I lie on the beach. I can always hear them talk. Me? I'm just a lawnmower. You can tell me by the way I walk. And so ends another Vinyl Vault. I'm your host, Todd Miller, and uh, sincere thanks to uh, Billy James for setting up that uh, wonderful interview with Jerry Murata. Stay tuned for next week's show. Uh, more amazing stuff coming up. If you need to make requests, one 269 6155 or feedback at radiothatdoesn'tsuck.com. Initiating shutdown sequence. You've been listening to Don Rivers' Vinyl Vault on radio that doesn't suck.com. Produced at Faders on Stun Studios, Toronto, Canada, for radio that doesn't suck.com. Executive producers Don River and Don River. Don River. Don River. Don River. Don River.